I don't think we should be looking at case counts at all at this point. Some of the earliest states to impose mask mandates in schools and elsewhere to help stop the spread are now one by one announcing dates when those mandates will come to an end. These are all states led by Democrats and once hard hit COVID zones, and they seem to be decisions driven by science, not politics. And so in this case, I'm not saying I don't think anyone really is saying that no one should ever wear masks. Rather, it should shift to an individual responsibility by the family. So when are we going to hear from the CDC about updating the guidance on masks? We have to ask the CDC. Welcome to the Death Panel. To support the show and get access to all of our weekly bonus episodes like this week's bonus episode with good friend of the panel and publisher of Notes on the Crises newsletter, Nathan Tankus, where we talked about inflation hysteria and did our own evaluation of Biden's economic accomplishments for his first year, become a patron at patreon.com slash deathpanelpod. You'll get access to that one and all of our other bonus episodes. And of course, if you'd like to help us out a little bit more, share the show with your friends, post about your favorite episodes, pre-order Health Communism and request it at your local library and follow us at deathpanel underscore. So we have really had a great week of guests this week because today we are joined by Justin Feldman, good friend of the panel, epidemiologist of social inequality and state violence and health and human rights fellow at the Harvard FXB Center. Justin, welcome back to the Death Panel. It's always a pleasure to have you. Same. Very happy to be back. So today, where we stand, about 60,000 people died from COVID in the United States just in the month of January alone. And over 17,000 people have died from COVID so far in February, and we are only about a week in. The CDC is projecting that we're going to see um, anywhere between 942,000 to 978,000 deaths from COVID-19 reported by March 5th, 2022. So over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at, um, you know, potentially up to 77,000 more deaths. And deaths are still a very limited picture of the pandemic. But even just standing alone as that one figure, it's a very staggering metric. So I just wanted to make clear where deaths are right now. Before we get into our topic today, because it's just been a banner week for normalization. Left and right this week, Democratic governors are announcing that they will end or refuse to renew mask mandates, despite the fact that we're seeing well over 200,000 new positive cases a day, which is about the same as the peak in winter 2021. And also, despite the fact that there aren't really any extreme restrictions in place in the first place. Right. But the vibes right now just feel way more like May 2021 when Biden declared that the vaccinated could stop masking, that we would have victory over the virus by the 4th of July and that everything would be over. And that was, of course, also when cases were hovering at around 30,000 cases a day which is about one fifth of what we're seeing now. And I, I went in this morning to, to remind myself of this, but the, <laughs> the, the pediatric situation is in particular still very bad. You know, it's, I think uh, last week, as of last week, something like 577 pediatric hospitalizations from COVID Jesus. per, you know, that's like the seven day average down from a peak of 914, but still <laughs> worse than at any point in the last two right. years. 
And this is so anathema to not not merely the administration, but to like this growing number of Democratic governors and their surrogates and the people who are apparently the only public health uh, authorities that the New York (laughs) Times uh, wants to cite. Uh, it's as if none of this is happening at all. Yeah. The whole tenor that you're talking about, both of you, has just been incredible to me. I mean, Crescendo as you was mentioning, mm-hmm. right. I mean, as Phil, you're saying, not only from within the administration, I mean, Fauci gave comment to the Financial Times that came out today, day of recording, at least saying that the U.S. is exiting, quote unquote, exiting the full blown pandemic phase. <laughs> Um, were his words. And of course, as we're talking about, you know, (laughs) all over the place, it's like cases are dropping, cases are dropping, like the pandemic's over. Now we're going to give people like we're going to quote unquote, like give people their lives back or whatever, you know, insert random like bromide here that is like present in basically like any media coverage that you see of this stuff, especially the uh, governor's dropping masks, Mm -hmm. some of the few remaining state indoor mask mandates that, that were still around. And as B was mentioning, it's like this incredible deja vu, I think, of May 2021. May except 14th, for cases are just so much higher. Well, except for, right. So <laughs> in May May 14th, 2021, when the CDC dropped its national mask masking recommendation, there were 596 deaths per day, 34,000 cases per day. Today, we're at 2,600 deaths a day, 260,000 <laughs> new cases a day. And that's like, if you look, I know that B sort of like mentioned this, but just to, just to really draw attention to this like 260,000 cases a day is still just over the previous record peak at any other point in the pandemic other than the obvious huge wave that we had starting in like December 28th December 28th 2021 is like when it when cases go up again to like what the previous record high ever had been until that point um which was in like January of that year and then still again as people are saying like and now is the time to remove all restrictions, mm-hmm. basically, mm-hmm. right? People, people are saying this in the context of literally, if you just if you simply look at the graph, the amount of cases that we have right now <laughs> is basically higher that, than at any other point other than in the last month. Yeah, but line go down now, so... Right. COVID over. It's all about right. the trend lines. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. exactly. It's all about yeah. The this is like to change. me. And uh, like, I'm curious <laughs> to see like, Justin, your reactions. But like, to me, this is like the, the most basic like thing that I would teach somebody about statistics <laughs> and, and reporting rates of change is that you don't report merely the rate of change. You report the baseline from which that rate of change uh, begins. And this is explicitly the thing that Lena Wen either, you know, cleverly simply does not want to say, or, you know, she's like, well, there, there's a, there's a, there's a negative trend. So that's the, that's the reason why we can like uh, open everything up. And it's like this, that, that marks the phase shift to uh, something that I guess is not full blown is full blown. That's not a technical term, I guess. Right. It's like, <laughs> obviously the impetus behind all this is not epidemiologic of there's no there's no like public health framework that anyone is going by here in particular instead they're going by focus group and polling results from (laughs) not the general public which is 
tends to be pretty supportive of public health measures still. Uh, but swing voters uh, in you know the the wealthy northern Virginia suburbs, uh, you know we had we had that New York Times article talking about D and the governor there, uh, you know losing some of his initial uh, support when he was reelected as as a Democrat. So, and then you have these experts like Lena Wen, Ashish Cha, et cetera, uh, using kind of some framing that I talked about on this show over a year ago now with, with the Great Barrington Declaration. At that point, the Great Barrington Declaration people were employing what I called a, a rhetorical strategy to call all public health measures lockdown. Mm. Uh, and, and what I'm seeing now is a rhetorical framing to call all public health measures restrictions. Uh, when, it, when in fact, not, there's really not much we can describe as restrictions in place. We have, mm -hmm. for the most part, fully in-person school, indoor dining, uh, nearly every bit, like every business is open, that not, not closed in public health measures. What they're going after is not even mask mandates. There's only mask mandates in, I think, nine states yeah. in D.C. At least and, statewide. Yeah. Yeah. And they, yeah, exactly. Um, and, and they're pretty weak. Like the New York one, New York state mask mandate, one, it was announced in December, a month ahead of time. So it wasn't in place for much of Omicron. Two, it only applies to non-vaccinated people, uh, so, so it's not really enforceable. I'm in Rhode Island, where there's technically a mask, indoor mask mandate, uh, and I think most people don't know about it because they're not really popularizing or enforcing it. <laughs> they're really, they're really going after the schools. So I think we're going to see. Uh, we've already seen, and you've already talked about here. Uh, a you know this concerted effort away from school mask mandates, away from quarantine and isolation even even further than than what we've already seen and while we've talked around people like david leonhardt and emily oster having a lot of influence on this recently today we're actually going to focus on two sort of different um other influential camps that have like arised and been very helpful in pushing this over the finish line one is the urgency of normal people and we talked about that a little bit uh, on our David Leonhardt episode with Abby, but we're going to get into it a little bit deeper today, sort of talking about the influence networks. And the other is someone that Phil mentioned, who is Dr. Liana Wen, who has recently taken it upon herself to seemingly become the voice of liberals advocating to drop mask mandates. And as Justin's saying, this is really sort of specifically targeted at schools, even though it's being discussed as sort of like general population level freedom. Right. And this is why we kind of wanted to get into this today, too, because as I think everyone will probably know uh, to some extent, again, these last few remaining states dropping their statewide mask mandates or at least announcing that they will do so soon. I know that obviously, actually, you know, some of the coverage treats it as though it's sort of like immediately going to be enacted or whatever, which actually basically, I think because of partially the coverage, but also like the way that ever the this is being presented as like, look, we all know we're done with this, right? Like, you know, all these governors are doing their best Barry Weiss impersonation and like shrilly saying like, I'm done with COVID or something. Listen, but everyone the, knows you're not supposed to wear white after Labor Day. <laughs> right. Okay. But I think actually a lot of people are rightly confused as to where this even fucking came from, right? Mm -hmm. Because I know that 
well, I mean, some people may be like, oh, well, like finally, right? Like some of the, the people in that who were already sort of in that Leonhardt, Barry Weiss camp might be like, well, finally, like, you know, I'm going I'm to get my life back or something. Um, my personal crisis of having to see people wearing masks occasionally will soon be over. Whereas then I think a lot of other people are just kind of struck, understandably struck with surprise, right? I mean, right. I think it would, unfortunately, some of these things for, for such a move to happen when even as we were kind of mentioning, you just look at like the graphs, you look at case spread, you look at continuing deaths, you look at pediatric cases, like Phil was pointing out, it seems uh, unwise maybe to say, oh, this is no, this is the point where right now we're going to let go of any sort of few remaining scraps of mitigations that we might have or any sort of like cultural imagination that we're still in a pandemic that we're going to let that go. And I think it kind of I think what we really wanted to do today basically is really get into like, where did these pushes come from? Um, how did like how were they achieved? Basically, right, right. Because the, the announcements this week have been for New Jersey, Delaware, Connecticut, Oregon, California, New York, and I think Illinois is expected to announce today or tomorrow. And obviously, this just sort of sends the a, the a picture, right, that there is a sea change happening and that it is like being led by Democratic governors. And yeah. that's certainly how it's being spawned in the media. And I think the other thing, too, is that we're seeing this kind of take a rise uh, hinting at a silent majority that is demanding that masking be a major 2022 election issue. And well, th- and that's the thing. And like my point of bringing up the fact that there's not that many states already doing this is not a nihilistic point of saying like, well, no, it doesn't matter. It's like, OK, yeah, exactly. That's been the policy. And here's where we are um, in, the, you know, in this like ridiculous surge. And there's been no, you know, no sort of reversion point there. And the narrative now it's it's you know really using this uh, you know policy changes in a small number of of symbolically important states i think virginia is one that we we should really get into and i think justin has a lot to say about um but that is being used it's certainly in the media narrative as the fulcrum to say okay now this is what the roadmap this is news gavin newsom's words it's like the roadmap to endemic looks like <laughs> oh which I have to say that when people say that with any sort of straight face or just like stenographically report that I'm like, that doesn't mean anything. When Lena Wen, when they quote Lena Wen as if she has sort of public health advice saying like, we need to like public health means meeting the public where they're at. No, no, it doesn't. And also where she thinks the public is at is not necessarily where they're at. And so, I mean, I, I think it's it's sort of astonishing for me because it's not as if these the people who are making these decisions that are then leading to the narrative, we can like leave the narrative media narrative aside for just a second, but like the people who are making these decisions. It's not as if they only have access to Lena Wen, and it's not right. as if they only have access to the sort of the cavalcade of cranks that have Gene been noble the, of the urgency of normal <laughs> who advised California. Yeah. Literally yeah, the only people available, right? So yeah, exactly. Th- that That's not the case. And yet whether or not they're listening to them or not, that ends up being the policy trajectory. And so, like, Justin, you've, you've been following some of these networks of, I hate using the word influencer, but it does seem to be the, the uh, gestalt that, that these people have taken on. They see themselves as influencers and they act as influencers, sort of like the second and third seasons of the real world. The people knew that they were on reality TV and they knew how to react on reality TV. So, like, um, like how, who... How, how do these networks sort of germinate? And let's talk specifically about this urgency of normal network. Who, who, who are these people? What, what are they doing? 
Yeah, I'll just step back for one second to, to add one piece to the context here, which is we also have a new subvariant of Omicron, yes. BA.2, that's somehow even more transmissible uh, than, than oh, the, the OG strain. Uh, so yeah, on, to- on top of some you know, somehow, I don't know. You do things like record a million <laughs> new cases in a day and do that, uh, you know, eight hundred thousand, seven hundred thousand, nine hundred thousand cases in well, a day yeah. for like a sustained period of time. I don't know. Some just somehow you come up with like like genetic variations for like also the fact that it's like you know the transmissibility is going to be blamed on just pure phenomenology and biology, right? Not on the fact that like we've just got full on open society without masking and. And just spread everywhere. Yeah, it was a it was an act yeah. of nature, act not of a policy yeah. decision. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. No Sorry, epidemiology here, just just biology. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I th- I think I have, and you all have talked over the last year or so about these various individuals and organizations that so, some of which are enmeshed with one another that have been influencing the media framing and narrative around uh, COVID policy response and pushing it in a generally less precautionary direction, uh, almost exclusively. There have been calls, some more extreme than others, to end public health measures. At the most extreme end, you have anti-vaxxers. At a less extreme end, you have people like Ashish Jha, who are basically uh, providing cover for whatever policy the Biden administration decides to pursue yeah. in a particular week, and and sometimes you know offering light criticism like there should have been a testing requirement at the end of the five day <laughs> isolation period, but never going any farther than that. Uh, so yeah, I, I they they are all informally connected at very least, and I think it's going to take some time and some research uh, and and hopefully comes out the more formal connections these individuals and groups have to one another. Uh, But yeah, I'll I'll talk a a little bit about what I've learned about this urgency of normal campaign and and where its roots lie. Um, So they, there was all of a sudden overnight, uh, I think it was maybe two weeks ago now, uh, a website popped up called urgency of normal dot is it dot com or dot org? Uh, one let, of those. Let's not uh, let's not worry about it. Lest people go there. Dot <laughs> <laughs> ch. <laughs> so so we had we had a website and we had um, and it was launched with a social media campaign, an advocacy toolkit, a presentation that you could sign up for and and watch about how to advocate against, primarily this is against masking in schools Mm -hmm. and other school public health measures, but really focusing on supposed harms of masking to to, uh, students and their mental health and development or or whatever, all pretty pretty spurious arguments. (laughs) Uh, But who are the people featured on this website? these many of these people are kind of pe- people probably who who've been discussed on the show before. Um, Vinay Prasad, yep. Jean Noble, mm-hmm. Lucy McBride, Tracy Hogue. Uh, there was a couple of people on the original version of the website have, for whatever reason, were quickly removed. Uh, I find this I find this part of it fascinating. Yeah, I don't I don't really understand. I think like me, I'm not sure. 
yeah, I'm not sure what's going on there. Maybe there were clashes over politics or like consent. Because like Monica Gandhi has aspirations to be taken uh, seriously as like a more mainstream mm-hmm. figure. So may- maybe she she viewed them as as being too risky. But yeah, so I I did my best to trace like where did this group come from, uh, and it's still not ex- exactly clear to me. And I do, I do think there we have a tendency on the left to try to ascribe any groups we don't like as like you know uh, Coke brother puppets and <laughs> yeah. astroturf right, groups, right, right. And, and there is often money from the Cokes and from other right wing donors uh, that that are part of these networks, but that doesn't mean that it's fully astroturf. Yeah. And I would put this in the partially astroturf category. It's like astro affinities. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, yeah, and you know, if you're if you're a right-wing donor, billionaire donor, you're going to look for people who are doing their own right. advocacy exactly. and organizing, and you're going to support them. And this happens on the left, too, like these arguments around movement capture, uh, where, where foundations come in and try to, like, fund and also influence the, the direction of organizing. Your point is they're seeking out, <clears throat> it's wrong to say that the model of influence goes only one way they're also seeking out the money right yeah well it's like we say on the show from time to time like it's not conspiracy it's not necessarily conspiracy but it is hegemony Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and i I honestly don't think the people on on who are part of this campaign who are all physicians or in some cases uh have phds in in fields related to medicine or i don't think they're getting paid directly off of this uh some of them are quite wealthy uh on their own um but but i I do think it's more that they have ideological commitments Mm -hmm. to the cause so anyway I, i tried to figure out where this was coming from uh the term urgency of normal was first tweeted out by a an angry parent who was an uh, <laughs> an anti anti public health measure organizer in New York City. Um, Interesting. I think her name is like Natalia Mukver. I, I don't know how to, how to say her her when, last name. When you say anti public health measure, are we talking mass mandates, vaccine mandates? It, it, it has changed over time. In gotcha. in the first iteration, she sued New York City. The Department of Education when they were uh, in hybrid mode and and not fully in person to sue them to to give uh, try to give everyone fully in person uh, education the, you know and this was like pretty early on when people weren't even able to be vaccinated yet her lawsuit failed she she went to a lawyer she didn't go to any random lawyer she went to like the guy who is known as the anti lockdown lawyer who had brought suits on on behalf of businesses against public health measures. Uh, And then she appeared on MSNBC on um, what's Megyn Kelly's show. So like the the right wing uh, representation on MSNBC. Uh, So she she was on the Megyn Kelly show and she was there with uh, someone named Maud Marin, who is sort of like a kind of a right wing anti CRT, anti affirmative action, uh, aspiring politician in New York City, and she also appeared with Jenin Yunis, who is very closely involved with the Great Barrington Declaration and works <laughs> for um, a, a Coke funded right wing legal group. Uh, I think they're called the New Civil Liberties. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, association or something like that. Yeah, yeah. 
but anyway, this woman, Natalia, uh, she she's the one who initially tweeted urgency of normal about a week before this campaign came into fruition. So I don't I don't think she came up with it. Maybe she did. But there was clearly some organizing happening behind the scenes uh, and, and people who are part of this community of advocates first for fully in-person schools, then for uh, against mask mandates, against quarantine and isolation. Ultimately, the direction they're going and starting to go is anti-school uh, vaccine mandates, which is going to be the next mm -hmm. major battle. Uh, so, that, yeah, that, that was one one piece of, of kind of backstory I got. And then the other piece was that four of these figures, um, Monica Gandhi, Scott Balsitis, who, who I think is the main organizer of Urgency of Normal, Lucy McBride, Tracy Beth Hogue, they all submitted testimony to a lawsuit in California where another, uh, another like angry mom advocate who who does a lot of like GoFundMe based uh, crowdfunding of her efforts and lawsuits and uh, rallies and whatever. Um, she Yeah, so she sued Gavin Newsom for California's mask mandate. Uh, and these these four figures, uh, this was over over the summer of 2021. Uh, the, these four figures all submitted testimony in some cases, multiple times. Uh, and, and you can view these documents are on like the California state court website. Uh, so so they're they're all connected through these networks, formal or informal, uh, crowdfunded or dark money funded. Who knows? Uh, um, they, they've all they've all been involved in this before. This didn't come out of nowhere. Uh, and, and there's this great reporting from a website I didn't know about before. Uh, independent uh, journalists, le leftist journalists, called Left Coast Right Wing Watch, uh, something like that. And they they went to some of the rallies of this group called um, I think they're called Let Them Breathe oh, in California. Boy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Most and, awful. I mean, just in the context of the racial justice uprising, yeah. too, like it is like the oh most disgusting God. framing yeah, they could yeah. have possibly chosen to do yeah, this. You it's, know, it's, white fragility, it's, right? Yeah. <laughs> it, exactly. Um, and yeah, it, it's a, a, a small operation. Um, they, they're running GoFundMes, all very localized. Um, so they'll they'll focus on a county or town or city or whatever, um, and they, they'll do a GoFundMe uh, targeting that particular place, often raising in the tens of thousands of dollars uh, in each place. And then they're doing they're doing rallies all over the state. And these uh, the, the independent journalists who who went to each of them uh, said that. In many cases, they are just the same set of people traveling around the state, and these maybe have one to two dozen people. And so, and and they've also attracted some like far right uh, white supremacist figures as well. How how that happened? Um, <laughs> Oops! Surprise! So so in your t you, what the the point is, and and I just this this might already be painfully obvious, but this is not some gigantic grassroots movement. This is shadow puppetry. You know, it's, you know, you, the moves you make make you look larger than you are. Um, and if you have a good amount of money, regardless of the source, that uh, helps to continue to subsidize it. Um, is that more or less your impression of this thing? Yeah, I, I mean, I, they're trying to create this illusion of, you know, this this not so silent majority mm -hmm. 
that is, is opposed to school mask mandates and other school public health measures. Uh, and they're, they're getting money to do this and they're trying to expand their influence. Uh, I don't think it's primarily about the money for them. I think it's about their ideological commitments. I mean, I think ultimately to me, one of the main takeaways here is it's like these people did help push these normalization policies kind of across the line. I mean, I, I remember hearing even as we were going up towards like recording the episode that we did with Abby, where we talked about some of the claims that they make in the urgency of normal document. And I mean, I would urge, I would suggest people go listen to that. It's unlocked. It's our episode, David Lee and Hart and the emergency of normal. <laughs> um, that's towards the end of that conversation. We talk about how, among many other things, for example, like their citation for oh, the coronavirus is less dangerous to children than like the flu or something. Um, not only is that an inaccurate claim, it also is like citing their, their citation for that is literally like cdc.gov slash flu or something <laughs> like that. Um, but I think but anyway, the, the point being like, I think, you know, as we were preparing to record that episode, for example, we were hearing about like, you know, people in school board meetings or whatever, having to like refute these claims made in this document and this document really getting around. And I think this did really help sort of push the idea across that there was a sort of an emerging consensus among like liberals or among Democrats or whatever, that it was time to unmask students and it was time to like drop state uh, mask mandates. And I think I'm not even saying like, oh, I th I think like, oh, putting the strings together, like I think the ur urgency of normal, like push this over the line. Like, let me read you this thing from Politico from Wednesday. Um Here's how they framed it in a thing that was headlined basically saying uh, that Joe Biden, the headline is Biden lags behind Dem Govs on easing mask mandates, uh, yeah, that one. saying, quote, Democrats are losing their religion on universal masking, just not at the White House. Meanwhile, Republicans are seizing on school mask mandates as a major 2022 issue. But it's not just partisan Republicans, a new advocacy group made up of well-credentialed doctors, <laughs> the urgency of normal, is trying to take the anti-masking movement out of the hands of the right. What which, a funny again, way to describe that. Right, which I, I but I think that the, sort of the point is like whether it's some like intentional Trojan horse thing or that's just how it went. It's like the idea is to present this as not coming from the right when it's basically just like linked up directly with it. Right, right. It's all been collapsed into sort of one perspective. And it's actually just a couple paragraphs before that one in the same Politico piece, there is uh, a quote and a section about how this California ban being lifted is actually timed with a San Francisco school board recall election, mm -hmm. which has been part of this like ongoing discourse that a lot of these commentators who are based in San Francisco, like Vinay Prasad and Monica Gandhi have been involved in for months now, right? These are, you know, these are the top people working on COVID influencing and misinformation when it comes to like making things more dangerous for children and teachers and education workers. And it's no surprise that they're all working together right now to really hammer this message home and create the illusion that there is some sort of urgent pressure um, to acquiesce to people who are basically holding school boards hostage. So but one thing one thing that's interesting is that a lot of these a lot of the people involved in the anti-school masking organizing 
they portray themselves as like former Democrats or current Democrats who are, are disaffected with the direction the party is going. And I've seen this in, in many different cases. Some of these are just like the grassroots people who pop up on Twitter. One of them is Jenin Younes. Um, again, we, uh, she, she's, she's part of this great, broader Great Barrington crew, uh, Great Barrington Declaration crew. And her Twitter handle is Lefty Lockdown. Uh, and she's the one that works for New Civil Liberties Alliance, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. uh, so she, she did a, a Reddit AMA o- over a year ago now. Uh, and so on, on um, the Lockdown Skeptic uh, subreddit, which is really, really great uh, community. <laughs> uh, and, and yeah, so, so someone asked her, Basically, like, what do you think the best way is to oppose these public health measures? They call everything lockdown, of course. Uh, and, and like, it, you know, is it us doing grassroots organizing? Is it like trying to lobby politicians, lawsuits? And she's, she said, like, yeah, um, you know, maybe I'm biased, but I'm a lawyer. I think the best thing we can do is lawsuits uh, to, to block these measures. And not only will they block the measures, but you can create a legal precedent basically to limit the ability of government to respond to public health crises and other crises in the future. So, yeah, that's um, and I don't it's hard to imagine she actually thinks of herself as uh, liberal or progressive in any way, cons- considering she works for like an explicitly right wing uh, <laughs> advocacy organization. <laughs> Uh, but that's how she makes sense of it to other people. Uh, I think I contain multitudes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're, they're, I, I would I would put her, and I'd also put the broader urgency of normal, uh, you know, community into like this kind of entryist framework where, where they're they're trying to they're trying to take these ideas um, that that are like right wing libertarian ideas in into uh, into the Democratic Party in in a deeper way. Not that they weren't there before. It, and it also reminds me so much of uh, like the the nineteen eighteen anti mask league in San Francisco mm-hmm. in so many ways, which was which was largely liberals and like petty bourgeois progressive types who you know they they felt. Um, they felt a certain no, sense of noblesse oblige to to the poorest. Um, they were into <laughs> charity, uh, and they saw. And you also you also see this even earlier in in Europe in the, the anti contagion uh, movement, uh, where, where these concerns that like framing concerns around like the vulnerable members of society will be harmed by public health measures, whether it was like the working class in London in, you know, the, the mid 19th century, because a, a cordon sanitaire would increase the price of food or whatever. Or now it's like this moral panic over uh, child's emotional developments uh, that they're, they're imagining would be stunted by, by wearing masks. Uh, but I, I, what I'm actually in, interpolating onto them uh, uh, what they've not said themselves is like what, what do what do masks actually mean uh, like symbolically and psychologically and I think they they are a symbol of solidarity with with the oppressed basically with with people who are are more vulnerable to COVID and that is just like so fundamentally opposed to their kind of social Darwinist individualist uh, worldview, which is why something that like on its face masking is 
No big deal. Uh, I think we all know that it's it's kind of obvious. And also masking is like in schools is pretty highly supported in, in polling. And even like I'll remind everyone that polling data showed most parents and most adults in the U.S. supported going to remote schooling, uh, a slim majority, uh, dur- during the height of the Omicron wave. Right. So if, mm-hmm. if a majority is supporting that, then certainly a vast majority is supporting school mask mandates. And then in, in among Democrats, even more so, overwhelming support. But this isn't about your typical Democratic voter. And I think, like, if you're addressing the question of why is this happening in Democratic states with Democratic governors under Democratic presidents, uh, I think you, ha- you have to look beyond, like, the, these, uh, like the, these appeals to, like, what the pu- public wants broadly that's being invoked uh, cynically by people like Lena Wen. I'm glad that you bring up Lena Wen because I think that this is, you know, we've mentioned her a couple times already in the conversation and, you know, mentioned her at the top as someone who kind of like has come from, you know, I think really kind of come from behind in the last couple of months to mm-hmm. suddenly be like a really prominent vocal sort of face of a lot of similar policies to the ones that we're talking about. And to that extent, I think she kind of remains almost like a un. She's a figure that I think that really needs to get introduced basically to the death panel audience. Let's put it let's put it that way, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because, you know, we've we've talked about her um, a little bit. We've referenced her here and there. But just recently, she's been on this like big media kick really. Um, and I know that she's like, she frequently appears in media. I mean, she has a Washington post opinion column and she, when she appears on CNN, she's referred to as a CNN medical correspondent. So they have her on a lot, but she's absolutely everywhere right right. now. You cannot open an article about COVID and not see a quote from when you cannot like turn on the news and not see something that she's touched referenced just at least in the last two weeks, especially. And and to that point, actually that political piece that I was mentioning before that was saying, (laughs) you know, the urgency of normal is, uh, you know, again, quote unquote, a well, a group of well credentialed, uh, doctors who, who are trying to take the anti-masking movement out of the hands of the right. Immediately after that, it goes on to say some quote, some of the most high profile scientific writers are applauding the loosening of mask mandates too. in a new piece for the Washington Post. Uh, Lena Wen, a public health professor at George Washington University and the former health commissioner of Baltimore makes a powerful case for easing restrictions. And basically her main thing right now, um, and if you read like some of her opinion pieces read similar to the, uh, we kind of we mentioned this on the show briefly, but there was that Wall Street Journal piece from about one month ago that was saying like slow the spread question mark speeding Speed it, it up, up might be faster <laughs> or might be better, um, which was saying you know like we just need to basically like that now for some reason even in the even then in the height of Omicron was like the the time to remove restrictions and it seems like Wen's main thing right now is uh, it's it's kind of a couple things it's like. She always says basically, so I'm not against masking, but now is the time to remove mask mandates because the government shouldn't be telling individuals what to do. It should be down to individual. She literally says down to individual responsibility. I'm not saying that we should be stopping masking, but rather that this needs to shift from a government requirement to an individual decision. The government can't keep on telling our citizens that this is a five alarm fire all the time. I'm not saying I don't think anyone really is saying that no one should ever wear masks, but rather that the responsibility should shift from a government mandate imposed from the state or the local district 
of the school. Rather, it should shift to an individual responsibility by the family. And that if we if we don't take this sort of window of opportunity, which again, as we talked about at the beginning, is ridiculous because cases are so high, but we don't take this window of opportunity now to stop what remaining mitigations we have in place, the public will no longer trust public health. (laughs) That they will, uh, I think she says, like, lose the last bits of credibility that they had or something like that. So I wonder, yeah, I wonder what everyone thinks of this. So, and and I I wrote this on Twitter, but, and I I continue to think it's true. Um, So we're, we're in February, 2022, there is an election in November 2022, uh, and oftentimes in midterm elections, there is a changing of the guard uh, in, in terms of like who works uh, for the White House. They'll, you know, sometimes in November, December, fire people, hire new people. <laughs> So I, I think there's, I think we're seeing a jockeying uh, by people like Lena Wen, Ashish Jha, perhaps a couple others, for a few positions that are potentially opening up. One being White House uh, coronavirus coordinator that's currently held by Jeff Zients. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. is in the running to replace Ron Klain for White House chief of staff, Terrifying which would be even, even even worse than the status quo somehow. Yeah. Um, there, there's obviously been a lot of criticism of Rochelle Walensky, CDC director, so it's possible she could be replaced. Uh, and then I think it's extremely likely that uh, Xavier Becerra, who's the HHS secretary, who has been checked out and invisible this entire time, uh, will will be replaced. Uh, so yeah, the, at, at most they're they're trying to get a position uh, in the administration, and they're showing how well they can sell administration policies to the public, uh, which is you know the, the job of these figures these days is to sell uh, White House policies to the public, and it will, even though. The school mask mandates are not, interestingly enough, not being formally pushed by CDC. Uh, I would say there's certainly uh, the force of the White House uh, behind the shift. It's too coordinated for there not to be um, among Democratic governors. Uh, and, and then at very least, there's a jockeying to be part of a new kind of public health policy elites, which didn't really exist before in the same way you have policy elites for things like economics and foreign policy mm-hmm. and totally. health care. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, such a good point. And one of these things that she's really been selling is called one-way masking. Justin, can mm. you explain <laughs> what one-way masking is and maybe why it's bullshit? I think, I'm not sure exactly where the term comes from, but I, I know that it was at least popularized by Joseph Allen. Mm-hmm. Uh, Our good friend. One, one of, <laughs> and yeah, J- Joseph Allen is, you know, he, he's been pushing against, uh, rather pushing to weaken school public health measures, uh, basically since the summer of 2020. And he was using a lot of the arguments, uh, that we're, we continue to, to see now. Um, but yeah, one way masking is the idea that we can turn masking from, 
uh, a universally applied policy to an individual choice in schools for children. <laughs> uh, the, the idea being that uh, you can choose to, you know, you or your parents as a, as a student can choose to protect yourself if that's the level of protection you want because you're risk averse, because you have some underlying health conditions that put you at higher risk. You can wear your high filtration mask and everyone else can uh, decide whether or not to mask on their own. Uh, and of course, it's not a good idea. Like, <laughs> it, you, you, can, you can imagine a world where a child could wear an N95 really well all the time and uh, have a really high level of protection, but that's not the world that exists because that one, there are no N95s for children, uh, so you have you have to use a, a K KF94 or KN95, which are still good masks, but like work not quite as well. Mm -hmm. um, but children aren't going to wear them perfectly. Like we talk about that all the time in public health, like with condoms, there's ideal use and there's actual use right. and they have, have different levels of effectiveness depending on the figure you're using. And then like the level of masking will determine how much COVID is circulating in a particular community. Well, it's like, also like if there's like, if there's only like, ma if only the people who are vulnerable are masking, right, then it's going to just, make those masks work harder because ultimately like it's about yeah. total virus particles in the air right and and these people seem to think that if they can just continue the projection right that you're sort of safety from COVID is like some sort of shield generator, right? And you get like X amount from the vaccine and then you get X amount from masking and then you're good to go. If they can keep just perpetuating this idea, then it just really erases and minimizes like how people actually get infected, right? Which is like being in spaces for a long time, wearing a mask maybe for an eight hour shift and being in say a Starbucks where you've had unmasked customers come in and out all day long. So one way masking works, right, is the biggest load of bullshit because it just absolutely ignores any actual context that a worker or a student or a child or a teacher or someone who's medically vulnerable is going to be wearing that mask as the only person in the room. Like, it would be way more effective to just reduce the overall virus levels that are in the air, right? Like, that is ultimately, like, the precautionary way to go. But instead, we've, like, completely just framed it as this, like, thing that needs to be done as a, as a consumer choice, and it's more a kind of identitarian decision about how people want to live their lives moving forward with the idea that, you know, we're just going to have more variants coming and we can't keep, you know, losing grip on normality every time a new variant rolls through the vulnerable populations, right? Like that normal people want to go back to being normal. They want like a hall pass to get out of jail free card to not worry about it and not have to think about it anymore. Yeah, and it's like at, a, at an ideological level, it's a rejection of public health or like yeah, a notion right. of a notion of the public good and and all like this idea of solidarity I was talking about before. Absolutely. It can be an individual decision. You can, uh, you know, not obscure your beautiful individual face, and <laughs> uh, it, it really reminds you know the, the anti-masking stuff really reminds me of like. And anti-socialist propaganda, where like uh, in in a lot of these these anti-socialist stories, uh, they're they're about like 
each individual sacrificing their individuality and personhood for for the greater good and that that's like some kind of dystopia rather than the dystopia being what we're actually living through which is like normalizing extremely high levels of disability and death and perpetuity which is why i think um it makes lena win emblematic of this type of um you know public like public health personality like talking head mm-hmm. personality basically who is asserting everything's fine and everything is a matter of individual responsibility which you know again we've had those over the course of the entire pandemic but i, I think it's really taken on a pretty dangerous tenor here uh not only in the fact that again she's seemingly everywhere all of a sudden but, uh, you know, for example, in a January 3rd opinion piece for Washington Post, where she was arguing, uh, the, the headline was Omicron is bad, but we don't need to resort to lockdowns. She said, here's how to reconcile the seeming contradictions of where we are. The risk to individuals is low, while the risk to society is high. And ah. I just think that's an incredible mm. thing for a public Scratching health my person, a, a quote unquote public health person, you know, right, to right. state that that is sort of what is to me. I mean, maybe it's not fascinating, but it's certainly alarming <laughs> jaw dropping, if you will, in this. Well, in this marketplace of ideas. OK, <laughs> you know, it's like it's like a normal marketplace with one exception, which is that um, when you have a product that you are selling, i.e. if you're Lena Wen or or Monica Gandhi uh, or Vinay Prasad or any number of these other people, it does not matter how often your product turns out to be defective. Um, it is There still will be a uh, very vibrant, uh, you know, demand side uh, ask for it because... Of what? I mean, it's, you know, I think that's the thing is there's, there's been no, there's no like interim review. How many times <laughs> have these people been wrong? I've only seen like one or two, um, one or two sort of broadcasters even ask somebody like Monica Gandhi, um, Hey, uh, by the way, what do, do you think that like what has happened thus far, which really is pretty consistent with your advice? Like essentially <laughs> you, you have won. Do you think that that is a good outcome? Right, because that's the whole thing that is is baffling to me is that Props people to Mehdi like Hassan for having a fucking spine. Yeah, it's just the only person <laughs> I've seen like have, have have any sort of spine on this. But you know, but that th- that that question is also, you know, something that has to be brought up in the context of now governors like Newsom or whomever, because mm-hmm. they're using the same line. They're saying like, well, this is going to be our pathway to endemicity, and the question is like, exactly how? Like, I'm 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 curious, like how? Is this going to be the pet? Like, in what meaningful sense does doing essentially what we did before? How is doing that same thing, assuming no other changes? Like, and by the way, the the whole Biden strategy on this was nominally uh, presupposed that you were going to have a a a vaccine mandate and a huge part of the workforce. Well, you don't have that. Okay, that 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 you take that off the table. Uh, don't, don't assume anything's going to change with that. Do you think that doing the same thing and doing it harder is going to lead to somehow a different result? Uh, you know, like, wh- why should we trust you at this point? Like, there's been no interim review of that. One of the questions I wanted to ask for people like right now is sort of like, why is her messaging? Um, why is it hitting? Why is it hitting now? Like, why is why are these people suddenly so useful to Biden? And I, I feel like because that's like people feel so like 
bewildered. They a lot of people feel like this came out of nowhere. You could be totally forgiven for not even realizing that any of these people existed and that they were just sort of like nameless capital E experts, right? Yeah. And suddenly like things are not vibing with like what you thought was going on if you're sort of the average person who's yeah. So I I think there was in a there have been a couple of different attempts to to normalize um, to to end the state of exception that is uh, you know concurrent with with the pandemic that that you know is what a, a pandemic means right. in a so, right. socially Ultimately. defined sense um, and there was a push to do that in May of or, or let's say through the period of like between May and July uh, of 2021 uh, with, with the changes to mass guidance. And then you had a lot of states like set deadlines for ending pandemic restrictions. You had, you know, Monica Gandhi famously like doing a, uh, some kind of ribbon cutting with Gavin Newsom or something. <laughs> oh my God, yes. I don't even, I don't even know what the symbolism was there. Um <laughs> So yeah, this isn't the first. They were letting them breathe. Yeah, there, there you go. Yeah, I, were they cutting masks or something? I don't even. Yeah, know. they were. It was it was a, it was like a ribbon of masks. Oh okay, there, there you go. So this isn't the first time they've tried to do this, uh, but they, they I guess they failed the first time, uh, and obviously they failed because the the virus wasn't done with us uh, and, and and mutated and like vaccine uptake was lower than they thought and the ability of vaccines to block transmission was lower than they imagined. So th- this is kind of round two for like let's put the the your foot on the accelerator yeah. for normalization. Let's make it stick this time because the midterms are coming up because inflation has risen. Though as as you, you we heard from your conversation with Nathan Tankus, it's more complicated than inflation rising. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they're they af- they're af- afraid of a recession. They they really they really want to end it for good this time, which which has nothing to do with like actually defeating the virus or even managing the virus. It has everything to do with managing people's perceptions of the virus such that they go back to the workforce, which has been at least partially successful. You had a jobs report showing uh, hundreds of thousands of people re-entering the workforce during the Omicron wave, uh, which you know meant more people getting infected. Yeah. Uh, and what they what they were also really concerned about is uh, bringing back consumption, especially in the service sector, restaurants, etc. You still have in liberal cities throughout the U.S. Uh, something like a fifty percent drop. Uh, from if you look at the open tables data or or the the Google mobility data of people going to indoor dining versus the same period in 2019, uh, so so yeah, they they want they want to go back to normal for for those reasons, and they want to go harder now. They have a new group, or in some cases, the same group of grifters who uh, who are are. I I think they're in dialogue. I I don't think the Biden administration, and I know I know in your last episode, Nate. Um, said that the Biden administration is responding or influenced by the op-ed writers. I think that's true to an extent. I, I think it's a, a two-way street. And I think a lot of the, these op-ed writers and pundits, uh, including the, the well-credentialed ones, are trying to sell policies 
but for the White House. And I, and, and I think there's this kind of like interest convergence going on between like what the Biden White House wants, what these like explicitly right wing groups wants, uh, and what, what the, these like experts wants. In some cases, it's pragmatic, electoral. In other cases, it's ideological. In other cases, it's careerist and opportunist. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, they're, they're, they're all joining the bandwagon for their own reasons. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a really important point because I think, you know, uh, I was thinking back to, for example, when we um, did this episode, Vaxxed and Collapsed, mm-hmm. right, where we talked about how um, there was this just this crescendo all of a sudden of like, we, we have to look at the hospital data, like the people co- uh, hospitalized with COVID versus for COVID. And one thing we haven't even talked about, you know, in this conversation right. yet really is is the fact that, for example, um, this week it uh, it came out in a report that basically, you know, now the federal government um, at a federal level is seeking to do this right to parse like that within the hospitalization metric you know we have to parse like who is hospitalized with covid as opposed to who is hospitalized for covid and i don't think that we'll maybe even have time to get into that but just to you know mention i would highly recommend like going back to listen to something like vaccine collapse and hear actually how so so much of the stuff that we were talking about as clearly impending changes that were just going to become part of like the regular national narrative have just have like Mm -hmm unfortunately really happened um but also how like for instance something like that with four divide you know as we talked about on the on that episode already hospitalizations as far as the cdc as, as the cdc itself admits are an under reported category something like one in 1.9 so almost like half of uh total hospitalizations are actually uh, COVID hospitalizations are actually reported but anyway I, I say it all to say that like one of the things that we also talked about in that was like this conversation that had clearly happened, there's um, reporting from uh, CNN, actually, from last December and from November, saying that, you know, the Biden administration was positioning itself to do as much as it could to really get the message out that, like, if you're vaccinated, you should go about your life that, like, most people should just basically try to ignore it, I guess, is the deal that you should just sort of like try and blank out like the the mass death. Um, and I think that you see that really that's why I think things like the stuff being framed as like, oh, the the these governors, the the Democratic governors have like outflanked Biden uh, in in messaging or whatever. And they've like they've moved faster than the federal government who are who are being too slow and cowardly to like lift the national like, like lift national mask recommendations. And it's like, no, they fucking aren't. Every piece of whether it's people who are like elected officials, whether it's people who are, you know, appointees in the Biden administration, whether it's people who are op-ed writers, whatever, every Every single thing basically is like aligned in the same messaging practically Mm -hmm. right now with only subtle nuance. And if anything, all that this does is just give them cover. Yeah, I mean, the idea is the pandemic is over. If you want it, all we need to do is like remove the visual signifiers that are preventing you from enjoying your life, you know? And that's why I think, for instance, like someone like Lena Wen, it's interesting to see, for example, that like if you look back at her reaction in May 2021 to like the original... Uh, to like the CDC's masking change, mm-hmm. what she's saying, uh, what, what she says basically is like, well, I've been criticizing the CDC for so long for not being realistic about like how much you know freedom of uh, action or whatever the uh, vaccinated people should have, but I still think that like the the masking reversal is too far because you have all these unvaccinated people and they could just pretend to be vaccinated by taking off their masks. And so wouldn't it be, you know, you need to add a masking requirement, sort of like what was mentioned with the sheesh jaw, like, oh, you should have added like a test to the end of the five day mm-hmm, isolation mm-hmm. period. 
But it's interesting because it seems like very revealing to me that Wen has like really increased her sort of um, sway or purchase or whatever in the public eye, specifically by leaning in further on this stuff. It's like it's kind of, you know, it, my point basically being if you go back, it's sort of almost the more moderate version of the the kind of like anti-mitigation, like anti-masking, uh, whatever weirdos that we've talked about, like Monica Gandhi and whoever over the course of the pandemic. And then as you get as as time goes on really recently i feel like it's taken this shift in tenor towards like turn up the dial a little bit suddenly i'll be in the public eye a little bit more to the point where you have like in her like in her column today she literally like has two quotes directly from urgency of normal people yikes so i mean i think this is the thing is that uh there's this the the pollster line right is that like people are somehow like tired of the pandemics like well yeah they're tired of a lot of things, uh, but it's not clear to me that they're tired, uh, you know, of government trying to be remotely responsible for, for public health like that. Th- that That's sort of a a a like a bridge too far. The thing that the thing that's astounding to me is that, you know, the, the somehow the path to endemicity and the professional network um, that, that is sort of sprouted up around this is like it advantages because it, I mean, and I think this tells you a lot about where the Biden administration is, that these people are the ones who see a professional pathway north um, to uh, to the home office, as it were, um, that, uh, you know, that that you, that you gain credibility by being a, you know, a, a, a public health expert by ignoring everything that we know about how the virus is spread and and that somehow the path to endemicity does not advantage professionals who are saying anything like, gee, how many states have anything like a paid parental leave program? I think I think the survey that I saw from Kaiser is something like 20, only 25 percent of firms in the United States even have something like paid parental leave. Um there's a small minority of states that have any sort of paid sick leave mandate. California, incidentally, hasn't even, I think, finished. Pa- they, they they only passed theirs after, you know, uh, unions just sort of like took Newsom to task, um, you know, over and over again and like and like pushed hard. And still there are all these sort of employer kind of protections like within it. Um, and so but like my, my point is, like, it tells you a lot that. It's these sorts of people and their ideas that see the pathway north and not anything else that, that the administration could do that would look like a path to endemicity, such as like, I don't know, making it uh, less miserable for kids to have to suddenly uh, stay home because, OK, it's it's possible to do uh, paid parental leave. There are any number of other pathways to endemicity that actually have some sort of logical connection to the way that. Uh, we know that viruses spread, not this one, which is really not a pathway to endemicity. It's just a pathway to not looking at anything. Well, it's a pathway said. to just ignoring the world. Right. Well, it's a pathway to endemicity in as much as, as we've said before, like what endemicity means to these people is that like the deaths continue and we just don't care about it. Exactly. Phil's point was actually the one I wanted to make. Um, like the, the idea that you have to be one of these freaks to appeal <laughs> to the White House and to get amplified by media is just really telling of the times like we're at. Like we know 
if you see if if you're obsessed like me or, or any of you, I'm sure, and <laughs> and like read what uh, Ben Wakana is writing on Twitter or retweeting on Twitter, or like look at what uh, Ron Klain is retweeting. Like we know the kinds of arguments they like and the kinds of policies they like. These uh, pundits are not offering any new ideas except for these completely pulled out of their ass uh, what I, I called elite folk theories about human behavior and how it relates to public health. Like, you know, if, if you uh, take away public health measures, people will somehow be encouraged to get vaccinated. Or um, if you don't take public health measures, uh, if you don't take them away quickly enough, you'll never be away, able to bring them back, always in the direction of taking measures away. Uh, and yeah, th this, this, is, um, this is who gets the attention. And uh, I think within public health as a field, most of us don't think that way. Most of us favor a more precautionary approach to the pandemic, though we might have differences in how we get there. Uh, and there is no alternative set of experts that has been able to get anything near the level of, of attention as, as these, um, you know, the, these people who are really useful to the white house, really useful to, uh, the, the ruling class. And yeah, it's just like, I, I think we, we were saying this perhaps before we started recording, but, uh, like death panel is, I think the only consistent source of anti-COVID propaganda <laughs> in a in a world with consistent pro-COVID propaganda, and Thank like you. it's there. There's no marketplace of ideas. Yeah, there is this extremely <laughs> narrow range of ideas that that are being uh, expressed out there, where the range is like straight up anti-vax to um, well, we should probably do away with most public health measures as quickly as possible right. uh, and frame everything in terms of individual choices. And there's no, like, there's such a disconnect between that and what, one, people in the field of public health generally think, and two, what most people living in society uh, think. Like, we, we, are, we are exhausted with the pandemic because we don't want people to keep dying. We don't want continued risks to our own health not because we don't want public health measures for, for the most part yeah yeah well i mean it you know it's just the i think the the assumption is is that if we just ignore it it'll go away and there's nothing further from the truth right yeah you know? well, and in this and i think ignoring it looks like yeah, I mean, maybe to maybe to kind of put a bow on this. I, I mentioned, for instance, how like Lena Wen has uh, in her in her most recent column, she like cites two of the urgency of normal people, which I I kind of said that offhand, but I do want to say it's funny because we were you know we were planning this, we invited Justin on to talk about urgency of normal specifically. It started to involve like oh we should talk about Lena Wen as well, <laughs> and then really seeing the explicit team up over the last couple of days has been very interesting. Um, not only, you know, Lena Wen uh, retweeting people like Monica Gandhi and Lucy McBride and other people like that, but then featuring them, McBride and, and others in uh, her Washington Post column. So she writes, for example, 
I find the framing of this just amazing, incredible, basically. <laughs> so I just, uh, in, in her most recent op-ed, warning that in this next phase of the pandemic, beware of the extremes, which is uh, what we were talking about. One. She quotes Jean Noble, uh, Urgency of Normal member, and as we mentioned, the one of the public health people who was advising Gavin Newsom, mm-hmm. or at least advising uh, California public health officials, quote, if we want to preserve trust and respect for public health, we need to pivot when data tell us that we should, said Gene Noble, an emergency <laughs> physician at the University of California, San Francisco. Noble is co-founder of a new movement, the urgency of normal, that calls for nuance around pandemic <laughs> restrictions. <laughs> nuance. In an interview, she told me uh, we, quote, can't continue the same generic messaging that we have to do everything we can to prevent coronavirus transmission. It shouldn't be all or nothing. You're either with us or against us. They so, literally want nothing, though. That's yeah, what yes. they're arguing for. <laughs> exactly. Like, what public health measures do they support? <laughs> nuance, actually. And it wasn't. <laughs> like, simply and it was it wasn't just Lena Wen. Like these people, these urgency of normal people are making the rounds. Like you had, um, which one was it? I think Tracy Beth Hogue mm-hmm. on PBS NewsHour. Like they're getting, they're getting all these media spots on exclusive like exclusive media spots. Yeah, they don't yeah. quote anybody else. They don't talk to anybody else. That's the one person. Yeah, and and they're them portray- Frank Luntz. <laughs> <laughs> they're portraying them as scientists. They're not. I mean part of a new movement sure how like can you say they're part of an advocacy group that's taking a particular position and like how does that position relate to what other people think both in society and in in the field like it's it's i mean you go if you go to grad school you like learn about social theory or whatever this idea of like manufacturing consensus becomes like like too simplistic and like cliche or whatever but like no that's exactly what's happening here sometimes it's a use sometimes it's a useful idea and that's that's exactly what's happening yeah that's how i feel when i read like the nate cone pieces that are saying like oh 70 percent of people uh think that like, oh, we took this poll and 70% of people think that we should, like, move on from the pandemic or whatever and get on with our lives. It's like, yeah, who told them that? Right. Who's, <laughs> like, you've been telling them that. Of course a bunch of people think that. And I'd, Right? I don't I'd know. also say, like, even even if you're someone who takes the extreme position, I think, that um, that it's futile to try to prevent... Uh, SARS-CoV-2 transmission in society. Like, let's say you take that position. There are still policies you should support to make a new normal less miserable. Like, um, what do you do about immunocompromised people? Mm -hmm. Uh, What do you do about hospital capacity? What do you do about getting people therapeutics quickly once they get sick? Like, they've not really talked about or promoted any of that like we really need uh even even in the scenario that i think they're promoting which is one where there's a lot of uncertainty but most of the population being infected at least once a year like fits into the range of possibilities and and so like what they imagine like how how do we make that less miserable even if you accept it which i i really don't think you should uh so they're 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 really taking a very extreme position and again with the exception of Mehdi hassan who grilled monica gandhi for 
for two minutes, which is great. <laughs> but I'll, I'll have you know, like, Betty Hassan, like, follows me on Twitter. Like, he is fully COVID-pilled. Yeah. And, <laughs> like, no one else in media is doing that, like, with a high profile. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's like, just to say, oh, well, we'll just give everyone antivirals is just really not a plan. And all these people seem to have, in terms of a plan... They demand a plan from everyone, right? They're like, well, you know, protecting the immune compromise, like, we can't do that. We've got antivirals. It's fine. We need to reopen. We're good to go. You know, the the whole thing just, like, always redounds to this consumer choice framing of individual yeah. consumer health. Well, if I these mean, fuckers want endemicity, we at least need Medicare for all at a bare minimum. Yeah. And a nationalized hospital system and a way to like stand up pharmacies in places where it's not profitable yeah. to run a CVS. Well, yeah. And also, I mean, maybe last thing, but like, you know, in fairness, all those things that Justin mentioned and, you know, what you're talking about be like, for instance, like uh, mentioning even like the immunocompromised mm-hmm. or, or whatever, you know, Lena Wen, Lucy McBride, they, they talk about those things. They actually, you know, they do mention them. It's just that whenever they mention them. They're like, oh, yeah, and we need uh, special stuff for that. And then they just kind of wave their hands, yep. basically. Yeah. Maybe not li- literally, but like, you know, in. Yeah, I mean, it, it's. Uh, vocally, you know, <laughs> hand waving. It, it's like this is the same trick that the, the Great Barrington Declaration people were, were choosing with like, uh, like a rhetorical acknowledgement of uh, focus protection of like high risk people uh, without like thinking through what would the policies actually be uh, if you were to protect higher risk people. Uh, it's it's all like a, like a pretext to sell their actual vision. And it's also worth noting, which we will not note yet, that urgency of normal uses the language of focus protection, which is directly taken from the mm-hmm. Great Barrington oh, Declaration. Boy. It was which, it, and to just to remind people focus protection was a rebranding of, <laughs> of herd immunity yeah. Letter yeah. Rip. Uh, yep. and does yeah, not have yeah. a pre-existing meaning or context there are no like that's not like a, a existing strategy so congratulations to every last uh, democratic party voter who took up the urgency of normal <laughs> thing thinking that it was you know the the cool new consensus on where the science was at even fucking sorry i know that i said like we should wrap up soon but like I did the service of myself to listen to like a Lena Wen interview with Anderson Cooper and introduced the segment saying there's like a new move to to drop masking in schools and in indoor spaces. And uh, it seems like Democrats are doing this now because of science. <laughs> there's a new dance craze sweeping America. It seems like this time it's a it's a science based policy change instead of a political one. Some very significant developments in the pandemic fight tonight. Some of the earliest states to impose mask mandates in schools and elsewhere to help stop the spread are now one by one announcing dates when those mandates will come to an end. These are all states led by Democrats and once hard hit COVID zones, and they seem to be decisions driven by science, not politics. (laughs) This is, you know. This is the mission accomplished uh, aircraft carrier with the banner, except that we're it's an aircraft carrier and we're all on it. And there's lots of different people at the podium. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, Justin, thank you for helping us cover this and for collaborating with us for the duration of the pandemic as we march towards our urgent new normal together hand in hand. Yeah, I can't wait for the takedown that they decide to do. The urgency of normal presents the death panel, Justin Feldman, uh, like Abby Cardis 
etc influence networks now we'll just get linked we'll all get linked to in like some david leonhardt column at the very bottom where it just says and there's some left criticism of these policies yeah. <laughs> or, or yeah or it's like um ne- this time next year and we're on like the the zeta or w- whatever variant and uh <laughs> and, and like by that point they're bringing us in front of some new huac to like stifle any criticism of of, of that being normal yeah <laughs> looking, forward, looking forward to it well and if you want to follow justin you can find him on twitter at j feldman underscore epi justin Thank you so much again for joining us, as always. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Listeners, if you want to support the show and become a patron, patreon.com slash deathpanelpod, you'll get access to all of our bonus episodes, including the one with Nathan that we've mentioned several times now. And if you'd like to help us out a little bit more, share the show with your friends, post about your favorite episodes, pre-order Health Communism, or follow us at deathpanel underscore. So we'll leave it there for now. Patrons, we will catch you early in the week in the patron feed for everyone else. We'll see you next week. As always, Medicare for all now. Solidarity forever. Stay alive another week.
One more thing. Lena when appearance on Chris Cuomo's podcast, the 17th of May 2021. So let's talk about these uh, fragile ones for a second. The kids and the immunocompromised. So the immunocompromised was, uh, I called them a little bit of a red herring earlier, which means a distraction. Why? Well, they exist, but they exist about everything. So they have, to be vul- they have to be worried about a lot of things other than just coronavirus. And there aren't enough of them for you to scale your national policy on them. And let's stop there. What, what, why am I wrong? You know, you're not wrong in some ways, as in, I don't think that we need to be catering policy for every single person in America. I mean, that just is not going to work. I think a lot of us in public health were expecting that the CDC would offer some kind of roadmap to say, once we get to 50% fully vaccinated or 70% in a community, that's when we can lift restrictions because we do have an obligation to protect those individuals because otherwise, now what? Can these people who are immunocompromised, do they even feel safe going to a grocery store? Yeah, but what I'm saying them? is, Lena, the, the analysis is right, but this is about public policy. We don't do anything just for the benefit of that group. They have to, you know, they have to be careful about their own situations. You, I've never heard of us designing any kind of policy for that population. Um, so, yes, that is a concern for the government in terms of how to service that community and what their sensitivities are. But I don't even know why it's in the dialogue of whether or not you or your kids should be masked or not. 